Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Elkanen and Dennis Dick on the show today. Earnings, a couple of them, E-Trade, uh, Coke, American Express. This morning, we've got a bearish note from Credit Suisse on retail, so we'll talk about that. Uh, and two guests on the radar today. First up at 835, we'll be joined by Will Ryan. He's the founder and CEO of Granite Share. He's got a new ETF, XOUT is the symbol. It takes the S&P 500 and gets rid of the 250 worst companies in that group. So that'll be at 835. And at, at, at 850, we'll be joined by the, or, the man, the author of the article we talked about yesterday, William D. Cohan, special correspondent for Vanity Fair, to talk about that article he wrote for them on insider trading. It'll be again at 850. Before I go to Joel, I want to remind you folks a couple things. Today's show is sponsored by Webull and their WeTrader competition. Join traders from around the world in a paper trading contest that resets every Monday, October 7th through November 9th, with weekly prizes of nearly $11,000 worth of Amazon gift cards and a grand prize of either a Tesla Model 3 or $40,000 towards your student loans. Plus, Weeble will donate a portion of total return to the Shriners Hospital for Children. To learn more, download the Weeble app. Also, the Benzinga, or the latest Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week in Chicago. BenzingaCannabisConference.com slash Chicago. Promo code BZFAN, B-Z-F-A-N, will get you a discount. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, movers, shakers, CEOs, investors, all coming together. So that's next week in Chicago. BenzingaCannabisConference.com slash Chicago, code BZFAN. Now, Joel, tell us what's happening here overnight. Uh, we're in the green just by a little bit here, by two points, uh, pre-market high, 01 and a quarter. Not much there, folks. What I'm looking for us is to take out that high from yesterday at 3008 and greener skies ahead after that. Pre-market low, 89 even. That's just below the close in the inner day low. So tight range. We've actually had a tight range over the last two sessions. So I don't know if we're going to have a sleepy Friday here or uh, get a move in either direction double bottom at uh 2985 if you're looking for support under the pre-market low crude's in the green here by 64 cents at 54.67 gold in the red by 520 at 1493.10 silver going the same way today down 9.2 cents at 17.52 bitcoin that's in the red too under eight thousand down 135 dollars the futures are down at seven thousand 925 
Triple D, how you doing this morning? I'm looking at a retail wreck here this morning, and I mean a wreck. It probably is kickstarted from Guild and Activewear last night, which is trading down 27%. So you're going to see all your apparel retailers trading down. But then to just throw more of them under the bus here, we got a CS note that is downgrading Macy's, Albrands, and the Gap to a sell. So when I'm looking at my filters here this morning, obviously I have filters that are running a uh, thousand stocks. They show me what is up, what is down. My down filter is littered with retail stocks. Thoughts, concerns? Well, it's just the notes out at just a couple, right? No, Guild and Activewear is what really the catalyst here, Joel. Okay. So let's go look at GIL because this is what happened last night. They warned. And okay. it's down 27%. So this is, this, all the retailers are going to be down. 10 bucks? The CS note helped it out. 27% GIL. Down 10 bucks. It's a $35 stock. It's now a $25 stock. This is an enormous move for GIL. Spencer Israel, this warning must have been significant. This thing hasn't even thought about catching a bid yet. It slowed down at 30 for about 20 minutes and then just continued to collapse here. I mean, this is a real wreck. Well, they lowered their Q3 uh, adjusted EPS guidance from $0.57 cents a share to $0.53 cents a share, and they also cut their full-year adjusted EPS guidance from a range of $1.95 to $2 to a range of $1.65 to $1.70. So they cut that by $0.30. Cents. This is a stock, a retail stock, that actually had performed fairly well. I mean, it had a little bit of a rough last half of the year, but this stock started the year at 30 ran to 40 uh, August topped out, and we've been going down ever since. Well, now we're not only giving back the entire year's gains, we are going to last year's gains and trying to give them back all in one uh, foul swoop. And here we are trading down at $25.50. I don't even know what to say. There is a couple lows here. If we go back to the middle of 2018, we got down to $25.50 and $25.33 in two consecutive weeks. I look at that, Joel. Maybe that holds. Oh, if you're trying to buy this thing, you are doing the definition of trying to catch a falling knife. Uh, I mean, I see a stock. I mean, it's just my contrarian instinct in here. Uh, I, I would you just buy this. I, I well, if I was short, I mean, I'd be bringing in. I know people aren't short for the most part, but holy macro! I mean, what a windfall if you are. I'm not sure what oh, yeah. your interest in on this stock. But what if you're long, and you know there's some people long. What if you're long? What do you do? I mean, the thing's down. It closed at $35. This wasn't on the docket. It wasn't, I don't, this wasn't supposed to report, was it, Spencer? This was just a flat out warning out of the blue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guidance warnings are never scheduled. <laughs> yeah. So this is just a flat out, like, here you are. You're looking at it. And this is why I'm going to make this argument. Technicals work well in the absence of fundamental news. I mean, this was looking like, oh, it stopped going down. Here's, you know, 34.42. This is if I was analyzing the chart. You could even argue, oh, there's a little company handle kind of forming. Maybe we're going to start getting kickstarted in Guild and Activewear. Doesn't matter. None of that's all that's meaningless when the company comes out and has a significant earnings warning. Stocks going down no matter how pretty the chart was. I mean, this was a stock that was still in a downtrend, so it wasn't a pretty chart. But you could have argued that, hey, you know, maybe it stopped going down. Maybe you know, this is one that I might want to try to play for a bounce. Technically, uh, it's down ten bucks on you now, and there's no hope of that thing going back. I mean, when stocks go down. 5% sometimes, you know, on light volume, but this thing's now trading heavy volume. It's been trading since last night. This is just flat out ugly. Uh, if I was long on a day trade, I think I would just do the old Dennis, uh, you know, just swallow the pill and, uh, you know, and get out of it. Yep. Uh, if I was look, 
Oh man, but you see two monthly lows here. Let me see. This is going back to the middle of 2018 at the 25 and a half area. So 25, even at 25 and a half. I'm absolutely not shorting it in that area. I yeah, guess, I know. Yeah, I guess the safest so. way to play it, if if you like, absolutely have to try along in this stock today. You know, let it shake out. You know, let's say opens 2560. And there's probably going to be some stops in there. I don't know if there's still stops nowadays. And let's say they flush it. I'm just giving a hypothetical scenario here. They flush it down to 2450. And then all the shorts are like, oh, boy, I'm going to go 20 bucks. I'm going to get this in 2021, 22. And then it turns around and comes back up through the open. And then you have that first 15-minute low, let's say, the lean on. I mean, I think that would be, unless, you know, unless you're just bold, like if I was short a good amount, I'd, I'd be out there. I'd be participating in the opening print no matter what uh, to cover short. But that's a no-brainer. If, you, if you're short the thing, you're getting $10 overnight, I would probably cover too. It's a scalper blood in this, Joel. We've market made, you know, we played market-making roles for a lot of years. I mean, you get 28% overnight just out of the blue. It felt, you know, obviously you're going to be covering in. It's just a matter of, I, I don't, you know, like I said, I, I feel, you know, there's going to be a lot of people stuck along this thing potentially. And you look and you're like, I, I, I down 28%. If you, if you got in your long-term portfolio, I don't know. But if you've got in your short-term trading account, <clears throat> I have been in positions where I've held a stock overnight and it's fallen 40% or it's, you know, I've been short a stock and it's got taken over. I've had that happen to me twice where I've been short a stock in an overnight portfolio that's been taken over and I eat it. I eat it immediately. I know it's horrible to eat a 10 point loss in something. You know, it sometimes kills your day, your week, maybe even your month if it was big enough. But this is one more reason to stay diversified in your trading portfolio as well, because stuff like this happens. There's so many traders that trade overnight and then they go on margin and they're putting all their eggs in one basket. I mean, if you've got all your equity tied up in one stock like a Gildenware and it falls 30%, you, you, how do you stomach that? How do you take a hit like that? But if you're staying, and I use a rule of thumb, I never like to have more than 10% of my trading capital in any one stock. So if you've got a $100,000 account, I don't like to have more than $10,000 in any given stock just in case something like this happens, because it does. I've been in the business 20 years. I've twice had a stock taken over that I was short. I've also had stocks taken over that I've been long, and those are awesome. But twice I've been you know, caught short a stock that's been taken over. What do I do? I immediately cover the next day. This is the opposite. It's really bad news, but you know, it's kind of equivalent because the stock is taking over off and goes up 20, 30%. I mean, you've got a stock, if you're long, it's down 30%. A lot of people will hold and say, well, it's down too far now. It has to, you know, I can't sell it down here because I'm down too much money. Um, this is how you have you know, a, a, a loser become even a bigger loser of your portfolio. And the mental capital, the drain that it takes on you when, you, when you wake up every morning, you're looking at this again and again. And if it continues to leak, it's more of a mental drain on not only your trading capital, but your mental trading capital. And uh, that's why I just eat the loss. If it's an overnight trade and you were in it, or you're a swing trade and you had to stop, let's say I'm going to stop out of 33. It's at 25. It sucks, but I eat the loss. Hey, Dennis, uh, did you get the chance to hop into YouTube chat today? Yeah, I'm in there. Okay. I've been watching it. I'm pre-market info in the YouTube, YouTube chat. That was our old handle you from years ago, pre-market info. So here, I'll say hi to the YouTube chat. Okay. So, because yeah, I'm like, I'm like, okay. I didn't type that this morning, and I'm like, I didn't know. Okay, thanks for uh, – I'm logged in. I got to find a different Google. I should change the name there. But, yeah, so we used to be called Pre-Market Info. We changed to Pre-Market Prep a lot of years ago there, but I've still got that old handle, 
pre-market info. So anyways, that's I like the bird. Remember the bird? It took us like months. It's good. It took us like months to decide on that bird. Twitter. We were, we were worried Twitter was going to sue us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got a blue bird too. Ours has a worm in the mouth though. Yeah. I think we were, well, yeah, I think we were a little bit ahead of that. Early bird gets the worm. That's, that's why we took that. Early bird gets the worm. Oh, look, Gildan Active wears what rallying here. So anyway, there is support at 25. So there is a support level here. But if you're holding out, hope that's coming back to 30 anytime soon. Nope. I don't think so. The repercussions from this are not just with Guild and Active, where I'm seeing every apparel maker in my filter here this morning. Down filter, trading down. We got VF Corp down a buck. Offer down a dollar. No trades yet, but it's offered down a dollar. Nobody lifting that offer, telling me it wants to go lower. Ralph Lauren has offered down a buck and a half. Nobody lifting that offer, it's telling me it wants to go lower. So just because these things are down a dollar and a half, it's going to be uglier on these stocks, believe it or not. VF Corp, Ralph Lauren are going to open a significantly lower than the dollar and a half, I would think. PVH, same story. It's down a buck eighteen. Offer down a buck fifty. Best bid is almost ten point or five points below that, or three points below that. So I think these stocks are gonna lose three, four bucks. Sorry if you're in long any of these things, but it's gonna be an ugly day for all these retailers. Even Kohl's trading down here, a dollar twenty. Obviously, there's a little there's the other note from Credit Suisse that is hurting sector here. Spencer, give us the details from that CS note. Well, yeah, yeah, you kind of mentioned already. But, I took your thunder, uh, but say it again. That's okay. Uh, Gap, Macy's, and L Brands all downgraded from neutral to underperform. I'll give you the price targets. Price target on Gap is fourteen dollars. On Macy's is twelve dollars, and L Brands is fourteen dollars. This is one of the bearish, most bearish notes we've seen from this sector in a long time. All downgraded to equivalent to sell. CS calls it the underperform. The price target's much lower. All these stocks have significant dividend yields. L Brands, 7%. Uh, um, what was the other one? L Brands Gap. The Gap has a dividend yield of 5.8%. Then you have Macy's now sporting a 10% dividend. 10. How can you go wrong? I'll tell you how you can go wrong is if this stock continues to go down and the stock continues to underperform, they slash that dividend. They have, we've looked at this before, and there was somebody on our show talking about the coverage. They do have coverage. I think the dividend is safe for now. But I'll tell you, the stock, you know, even if you're going wrong, think about this. When you buy a stock at $15 and it's got 10% dividend, if it goes down $1.50 in the next year, you're losing money overall. Well, I mean, let's look at what Macy's has done here in the last couple of years. It's went from $40 down to 15 So if you've been holding for the last two years, you've got $3 in dividend, dividends, hooray, hooray, while you're down 25 points. So that's how you can go wrong. Even when they don't cut the dividend, it can be a bad trade. I mean, is Macy's going out of business? We don't know. I've, I've said before, and this is why I don't own any retailers in my long-term portfolios, because I don't know which ones are Sears. I don't know if Macy's is Sears. I don't know if Nordstrom, you know, and maybe Nordstrom a little bit better. Uh, like I said, I like Kohl's the best of all of these, but I don't like any of them. So I have 100 stocks in my long-term portfolio, almost zero retail stocks. And uh, if I have one, I might have Lululemon, just because it's been such a great performer, but evaluation scares me on that i just do not like the sector again there's so many issues amazon been eating lunch people buying stuff people aren't going to these big stores the expenses in the department stores people aren't going to the malls that macy's anchors every mall i mean there's so many tough uh, this is really there's so many you know bearish there's so much bearish sentiment and there's so many things to think about when you're buying these things i can't i can't buy them uh well two things one we haven't had that retail hell in a while you know, like there's sometimes when, uh, you know, things just get pounded. But for me, just like yesterday, when we said that, uh, you know, it was a big day for Netflix, it had the report, it had big gains, it gave it away. 
I think today's a big day because, you know, Credit Suisse is coming in now and telling me to sell my Macy's and telling me to sell my L brands, which I do own at a much higher price. I mean, come on. You're, I mean, this is, is it either like super late to the party or do these things really have like another leg down? That's the question. Yeah. I almost think it's the latter, Joel. Like I'm almost uh, thinking these things do have another leg down. I mean, why not? L brands has went from 50 to 18. It's down another buck here this morning at 17. Why can't it go to their price target? I think you said 14. Why can't it go to 10? You know, are these stocks turning it around? Are these companies turning around? All of these are mall-based. I mean, the Gap, yes, you know, they got the old Navy, um, and that's interesting. And what's happening with that? Have we heard, like, when this potential spinoff? I know they talked about, did, are they ever spinning off old Navy? Did that happen? I don't think it happened. No, I actually have What's the timeline for that? I haven't followed up on that. I don't. I, don't, I mean, yes, you're going to get Old Navy. That's exciting as a gap holder. I mean, that's maybe one catalyst for the stock eventually. But still, you look at those gap stores, nobody's going in those. Not like they used to. And one thing to consider, and this is a big consideration, is people think, oh, these aren't going out of business. So what if the sales fall 10%? What if, so what if the sales fall 20%? They're still making money. No, they're not, actually. When they stale sales start falling 10 20%, check out their margins. The margins are tight. They have huge overhead expenses. They have huge rent to pay. I mean, think about the size of a Macy's. Think about what it costs to operate that store. They're tight, the margins. When the margins fall, when the sales start to fall 5 to 10%, these companies can potentially go out of business. I mean, this is what happened with Sears. This is what's happening with JCPenney. It's very difficult to say that Macy's is not a Sears or a JCPenney, and that's why I stay out. I don't know. Maybe they do turn it around, but I don't see much difference when I look at a Macy's and I look at a JCPenney. Just on the, I just don't see that much difference, and that's why I'm too scared of Macy's. From a risk-reward standpoint, I hate to trade. I hate to trade from coming out of uh, Credit Suisse. Short you, you, you like them long here. Well, you're long out. Well, I'm long out brand, so I'm a little bit, but from a risk-reward standpoint, so it's a 14 target. You short here at 17. You got to stop at 1850. So that you know a buck and a half, and trying to get 14. And let's be honest, they 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 put the call out in 1810. So really, you know, yeah, if you're following them, but they're short from 1810. Well, they're they're calls from 1810. So they're 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 kickstart six percent. They move at six percent their favor just from their call. But all right. I, well, I just I, say I, I don't mind it. You know, they're coming out, and yes, they're late to the party, but maybe they're just admitting that we've been wrong. I mean, they were neutral. Where were they on all three of these stocks? Let's go look. So before, neutral. they were neutral on Al Brands, neutral on Macy's, and neutral on Gap. So they weren't bullish. And now they're flat out coming out and saying, look, the story's getting worse, and we're going to sell. I don't mind that. Okay. All right. I don't well, mind that. I would not want to be bought long these stocks. I'm not long. I'm sorry, Joel, that you're long Al Brands. I know I bought it with you. And I thought Al Brands could have a bounce, but eventually I just gave up on it because it wasn't having a bounce. And um, I think I ended up selling around $30. I'm glad I did. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I get stuck hole in the bag, too. I have a lot of horrible stocks in my long-term portfolio, too. Yeah, I thought good. those stories were turning around, and they didn't. So this happens to everyone. If you've got a long-term portfolio and you're holding stocks long-term, you're going to have some dogs. As long as you stay diversified, hopefully the winners are going to, uh, you know, overcompensate for the losers. But I don't see any reason why these stocks are imminently turning it around. And that's why I stay bearish all the retail stocks. I mean, people would look at my portfolio and they'd probably say, why don't you have any retail stocks? You have any exposure to retail? And I'm like, well, here, I could go buy a Walmart or a Target or a Home Depot. 
and I'm paying up for the things. I mean, these stocks at the beginning of 2019 on Home Depot was $160. It's $237. Beginning of 2019, Walmart was $85. It's $120. Target at the beginning was $60, $113. It's doubled this year. If you're buying it now, you're late to the party. So I had, you know, I had a couple of stocks. For full disclosure, this was this was Lisa's pick. This was not my pick. So. Oh, Brands. <laughs> I'm blaming your wife. Uh, Lisa, Lisa, <laughs> throw the end of the bus on the show. <laughs> She's had some good ones and some bad ones. Let's do uh, it. Uh, who's wearing lingerie anymore? I, I don't know. The, the, the one thing I'll add, just not for uh, Macy's, but for L Brands and The Gap, uh, surprising, majority of analysts are neutral, right? So you think about, you know, the bearish trends, but most analysts – the majority of them are neutral for both. So this is just one more, one of those neutrals going to the sell side. It's hard. It's hard to okay. say, come in and buy these stocks. What's going to turn, what is the catalyst to turn around Macy's? What is the catalyst? Because I see it all the time on real estate. They're real I have been listening to all these people on CNBC come on and say, oh, it's got a 6% dividend. It's got it. Then they come on, you know, two or three months later. It's got a seven percent dividend. Then it's got an eight percent. It's got a ten percent dividend here now. Why is it turning around? Why is it not Sears? Why is it not J.C. Penney? Macy's. You guys could tell us too. I don't know why. How how it's different. I look at Macy's. I look at J.C. Penney. I see very similar business models. I see very similar stores. That's why I just cannot jump on this band. Like people saying, ten percent. How can you go wrong? You can go very wrong. All right, let's do some earnings. We'll go right. back to the earnings parade here because I'm all wound up here this morning again. I know. I don't um, want to talk about retail stocks anymore. I will not. <laughs> well, I, you know, we haven't talked retail in a long time, so there's a lot of re- – we covered like 10 stocks there, so we did good. We try to talk, I, we, uh, which report would you like to start with? We, we've got E-Trade. We've got uh, Coke. We've got American Express. Any preferences? I'll go with E-Trade. All right, E-Trade, after the close yesterday, beat on their EPS, beat on their sales. Uh, it was a good report. I'm surprised it actually matters this much, though. That's what. That's it. Why? Why is the stock trading up 4.5%? We don't care about this quarter. We know you had commissions on this quarter reported. You're not going to have the benefit of having commissions the next quarter. So are they going to lower guidance? Like, they, they, There's no way they can make as much money as they were previously making. Right? They did that already. They already zero commission. And they? They already lowered their guidance like two weeks ago. Yeah, so, okay, so now we're looking at that and saying, oh, it's pretty good. We're going to go buy this thing at $41, $42, the same price almost it was at before they, got, they went from to zero commissions? I think it's nuts. So, no, I'm not a fan. I'm still, would be, I don't have a position on it because I, I don't know why. They're buying it all back up. I said I would like it to go to 42 I don't know if it's going to get there today, but that's where I kind of wanted to go to put on a short. I don't know if it's getting there or not, but it's a nice, it's a nice move for E-Trade. I just cannot bring myself to come in here and buy retail stocks when they just went all zero commissions. I look at Meritrade, I see Ameritrade still trading significantly down, almost 10 points from where it was when they went to zero commissions. And E-Trade's going to get it all back? Nah, sold to you. All right, yeah, it is trading up here in the pre-market uh, nicely. Uh, this is, I always put in EFTC. I don't know why. It's E-Trade, but I always type this one in wrong. You're dyslexia. Uh, Yes, uh, pre-market high. Uh, where do we go to? We went to a uh, forty-one and a quarter. Uh, so we'll use that as a potential target. That's forty cents away. Uh, can we fill the gap in this issue? And that's up to forty-two eighty-nine. So if you're uber bullish, super bullish here, and you're waiting for a gap fill, 
Uh, there it is. That would be at 4289. It'll be erasing all those losses. Uh, coming back on the downside, top of yesterday's range is 40. So, I mean, if it does anything like a Netflix here and uh, goes into reverse, uh, that $40 area should act as support. I know it is Schwab. Uh, you know, you can do fractional shares through Schwab now. This is horrible. Are you see, like, why? So, you're talking like 0.2 of a share? It's all about customer acquisition. That's the name what of the What the hell? People, if you, if you can't afford to buy a, a, a one share of Macy's at $15, you shouldn't be trading in the stock. What about Amazon? One share? You know, it's a minimum wage in Canada is 15 bucks for an hour of work. What are you going to tell Amazon? me you're going to allow 0.5 shares so somebody can buy half a share? Like they can put $7 in the Macy's? Is that for real? Well, they can buy a half share of Amazon for like $700. Okay, well, fine. So you can buy, so maybe there's a better argument there. You can buy a half a share of yeah. Amazon. So maybe that's the argument, but I don't know. I mean, how else are young people supposed to get in the market? I guess Amazon's a good example. Priceline. Like for a sure. half a share so they can buy 900 bucks. I just like, I'm annoyed. AutoZone. I'll keep one going. Because I only buy 100 shares. I never come in here and buy, I would never go and buy like, Maybe on Amazon, maybe I, I get that. So Amazon's a good example. So maybe, you know, you save over $1,000 or now you do fractional shares, but I, I don't know. I just think, I, I find one share annoying. I see this all the time. One share trades, one share. Now I'm going to get lifted on a half of a share. Well, obviously I hope I would not. That's only at Schwab. So it's not the exchanges doing it, but I don't know. I find that annoying. All right, uh, next earnings report. What else did we have after that? I, I know I didn't feel so strongly about that. Uh, let's go to- This a, is like really opinionated. Yeah, this wow. I'm always opinionated. Uh, don't like retail stocks, don't like fractional shares. Next. Well, I just want to say Aviator One wants to know whether you're in a youth hostel or a sanitarium. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd go with the sanitarium. <laughs> He's up north in his cottage. They committed me. <laughs> His wife's, his wife's grandmother died, so he's up in his cottage. Uh, I know. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm working out of a bedroom here, so bear with me. <laughs> Someone's going to come in and give him some pills in a little this, bit. I have to have a bed behind me because after this show, I'm exhausted from yelling. <laughs> I'm going to go have a nap after this. Do they put the jacket back on after the show's over? <laughs> <laughs> It would hurt. All your, right, stop it. Would, it would hurt your why. shoulder. They, they have did. to pick on me now because we're not going to have the hot potato game, and they always pick on me through the hot potato game. So because we got a special guest coming on, so there's no hot potato today, and that's why they're picking on me early. All right, uh, AXP here. They beat on their EPS. They beat on their sales, and the guidance was uh, was was in line. So. I knew I shouldn't have put the camera on. They're all making fun <laughs> of No, me. no, I told you to do it. <laughs> Just Zach157 doesn't want you to he put it. He doesn't want to put a cadaver on that gurney back there. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be for my shoulder. That's why I have my chiropractic care right there. All right, come on, Spencer. Rain us in. Yeah, uh, okay. American, Express, like American Express had a good report there. American Express had a good report. You just got to pay your bills on time with them or they really ding you. Uh, Only Joel would know that. <laughs> no, they do. I pay it. Like, I get that American Express bill. I like, man, I don't call. Don't you have it on auto pay? Uh, I don't have everything on auto pay. Put your credit card on auto pay. 
That way, because you do get dinged. Yeah, but then when you, yeah, but I, I had some problems where I have all these things on auto pay, and then the car gets canceled, and then you lose the list of all the places <laughs> you have on auto pay. I don't know. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Auto pay is awesome. All right, pre market high one twenty one ninety four. Uh, we backed off not too much. Uh, the stock just under 122. You've had a seller, so I'll use that. One, 121, 122. That'd be good. Ah, minor resistance. I don't know if this thing just feels like running today. Uh, just keep in mind, a few weeks ago, it was at 111.06. So it's having a nice run. But I just look at all these highs in the, the, the 121, 122 area, and I just wondered if uh, those sellers are still there. What about Coke? Coca-Cola. Yeah. Zero, uh, zero. That's your last, last report or big report of the morning, really. Uh, Coke EPS was in line, 56 cents. Sales beat 9.5 versus $9.48 billion. Why is it up so much? Uh, they guided some organic sales growth of at least 5%. What else did they say? Uh, full year 20 sales growth up 1% to 2%. I don't know why it's up so much. I mean, there's pretty good move up two and a half percent. I would think yeah. there's some size. JV spec. I don't have my book open. I was too lazy. I didn't open my open book software yet. Uh, is there anything at 55? I would think there's some size at 55. We haven't been there for a while, and that can be a level there. It has traded 507,000 shares, so if it's only 100,000 at 55, it's not enough. But you know, maybe the size is bigger. So we'll see if JV spec's kicking around the chat, and you can tell us how much size at 55 in the New York book. I also would want to know if they're size of 56 because that would be the next level after that, or even 55 and a half. Maybe I should just open my book. Yep. Uh, we, got a, we got a little confluence here. Your pre-market high comes in at 55.35. Uh, September 12th, I was 55.31. So we'll use that. Um, after that, you know, you're open up, getting near all-time high, uh, 55.08. Uh, I'm sorry, 56.08 after that. It could happen. Um, I'm going to go maybe with a little bit of the Jerry Newsom uh, analysis here. The stock was up, uh, been up the last two days. Not huge, though, because I was thinking if it was up, some people may be selling into it. <clears throat> Big move for Coke here, up a buck 36. And I don't know if anybody plays the options in this one, but keep an eye. If it takes out that pre market high, 55.31, no. I don't think it's going to race right to 56, but that's really your next uh, major resistance. The stocks point. are in favor, though. These consumer staples that are trading with PEs at 25, they like them all. Their stocks are in favor. They've, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it actually does try to race to 56. 100,000 shares offered to 55, 100,000 shares offered to 130,000 shares offered to 56. So that would be my bogey. I mean, if it keeps hanging out here, maybe it doesn't trade above 55 at the open. You know, and obviously these things can turn around. But you get near 56, I think you're going to find sellers up there. So buck higher than this, I'm more interested. I'm not so much interested in shorting at 55.15. Gets up in the upper, upper 55s, I might try from the short side. All right. That, uh, uh, JV's back 130K at 56. All-time high in this, 55.92. All-time closing high right there, 55.77. So uh, pretty much an agreement here. If you get up in the upper 55, 56, uh, nice target if you're on the stock. Not sure what Mr. Buffett's doing. Let's move on to the movers from yesterday. Netflix almost closed that entire gap. It's down another buck and a half here this morning. I was on the show yesterday saying this thing absolutely needs to hold 300 if you're long. It did not. I believe it is going to give it all back here today. 
I remain bearish in that flex. I still have my $200 price target on. I have 10 months to get there. I have done no position, though. Let's just paper trading for you guys. And you know what was really interesting about this one? I did look at the 300 options uh, off the open, and they still want, when the thing was like 308, 309, they wanted like 250 or something like that. For the, for the ones that expired today, little did oh, I know, wow. drop $16. But uh, if you're like a gap trader on this one, it almost filled the gap uh, from Wednesday's action. That's unreal because it was yeah. up at three on the earnings. It was up at what, 317? We got to almost 320. 320. So it was up almost 30 points and almost gave it all back. What's yeah. that tell you? Overhead supply in this like crazy and people don't believe the stories. And what we told you on the show was 309. Subscriber metrics, we're not that great. This stock likes to trade off, and Jim Cramer said last night too, likes to trade off of subscribers more than earnings. Yes, the earnings were okay. Yes, it's trading with a PE of 55, which isn't crazy, but if the growth is slowing, that PE of 55 is still too high for value guys like me to be interested. All right, and uh, Spinner's just pointing out uh, your fake meat call of under 100 is getting closer. And Where is it? Beyond meat, fake meat. I like that, Joel. One fifteen thirty now, and it's $115 down, another $2. The stock is just in free fall here now. Ian Weiner was on our show two months ago when stock was $180 and said eventually these stocks have these incredibly high short interest. Eventually, these guys are right. It's just a matter of whether they can hold or are allowed to hold. They don't get bought in before. So they do appear to going to be right. We talked about this, that it was just irrational and silly. Um, I thought it was down at 200 It went to 230 I still remain bearish. Um, I've been bearish for the last two and a half months, three months really, because like I said, I was bearish before it started to run from the 200 to 230. I've made the call. It was going under $100. I believe I made that call. It was 180 bucks. So I think it's still going under $100. I gave myself, I gave myself tell a full year, but then a week and a half ago, I upped the target. I said $100 by the end of the year. So I gave my shortened my timeline for getting under $100. So I still have two and a half months here. I think it's going on under 100 bucks. Going to have a little squeeze in there. It's went a long ways now. We've been straight down since the McDonald's deal from 160 to 117. Oh, that was that. Can have a little pop here or there. Maybe it gets another deal or something, and maybe that's a temporary pop. All pops to be sold, in my opinion, in BYND. I believe eventually it's under 100 and much lower than $100. Where was that offering price at? Remember when 160. They... Yeah, let's look at trade that. down to it the first day, and I was like, just it was 187. They couldn't even find the buyers. You know, I'm not even remotely close. I had to go all the way down to 160 to find the buyers to obviously swallow all that stock. Those buyers are now regretting it. It took a long time. It was up there for quite a while. So I guess maybe those buyers turned around and sell, sold in the open market and made money. If they did not, if they decide to hold, they're being punished for that now. This is why you don't buy stocks with ridiculous, well, you can't even estimate because it doesn't make money, but you don't pay 7 or 8 or $10 billion for a company that makes veggie burgers. Okay. All right. Uh, 835, Spencer. Yeah, I, 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 get, I guess I need to call around still because apparently Dennis said there's no, there's no PLTs in Windsor, so I need to call around. Yeah, we want to try it. I mean, the stock's going to be under $100 before we get a chance to even try this thing. I'm going to call around in Canada if I if, McDonald's Beyond Meat Burger. I've tried the NW Beyond Meat Burger, and I told you the boy the four it didn't pass the four year old test because right. the four year old would not eat it. All right, it is eight thirty five. I do want to bring on our first guest of the day, Will Ryan. He is the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. They have a new uh, ETF ticker XOUT. Will, good morning. Morning. Uh, so I want to ask you about this XOUT. It is uh, the 
U.S. large cap. Uh, it's a U.S. large cap uh, ETF, but it's got a, a unique twist on it. Explain what that twist is. Yeah, so I think, you know, unlike every other strategy really in the investment world um, forever that's focused on picking winners, the whole idea here is we're actually trying to identify losers. And the lens that we're using is the forward-facing lens of technological disruption. So we feel that that's probably the largest forward-facing risk that all investors face, and that affects all companies in all sectors. So when you think about large caps and how difficult it is to outperform the market, you know, simply we're asking the question, does it make sense to own every stock in the index? And if you actually exclude the ones most likely to be disrupted through technology, then we feel that's a better way to ultimately outperform the market. Okay, so what characteristics do these companies that are, that are prone to disruption, what characteristics do, do they have to have to be excluded from this ETF? So we look at seven fundamental metrics. So they're all, in a way, um, common sense sort of fundamental metrics, such as is a company growing its revenues? Is a company investing in R&D? Are they hiring or firing workers? You know, are they investing um, back into the business? And so we combine these seven different metrics into a score one to five. So five being best, one being worst. And I literally take the 500 largest names um, in the US market and exclude the 250 um, that the model feels will most likely underperform the market. Wait, why is this strategy necessary? Well, I think that if you think about the evolution of asset management, as we know, traditional active management, i.e. picking winners, has really been largely uh, been a fool's errand. In other words, we've seen you know, numerous academic papers over the years saying that it's almost impossible to outperform the market. I think that traditional indexing, i.e. just holding every stock in the index regardless of whether it's good or bad, you know, that's worked really well over the last 10 years where we've had this unique monetary policy environment that's kind of allowed companies that maybe in a, in a normal environment would not survive and would not be in the, in the same shape and same status they are today, you know, over the next 10 years, I think that will be different. I think people will need to think about a different way to invest. I'll give you a quick example. If you just excluded GE from the S&P 500 over the last two years, you would have outperformed by 1.22%. So that's just excluding one company. And I think that people, when they're thinking about how to outperform the market, are kind of looking in the wrong place. And that's what we're trying to address with XL. So I assume you, you've back-tested this. Uh, what, what's the performance differential when you actually take this index over time with the S&P 500? Yeah, so the performance is pretty good. I mean, the, the actual story is this was being run in a private fund. So yes, we have a back-test, et cetera. But really, I think the, the kind of more important thing is this was actually being run with real money. And the reason why um, we have an ETF today is because you know, that was successful in a private fund and the view was taken to commercialize that into an ETF because obviously there are limits on a private fund and not everybody can buy it. So it's not as, as scalable as an ETF and not as accessible to investors. And so that's why I've launched the ETF. And so it's 250 stocks, equal weight. Everything else is the same as, as SPY other than this, this one big difference, right? That, that's right. It's actually, it's not equal weight. It's market cap okay. uh, weighted on the 250. But the big difference here is we're excluding stocks uh, we think are likely to be disrupted over time. And that's you know, kind of a completely unique way of looking at um, investments.
How do you pick those stocks that you think are going to be disrupted? I mean, that's where obviously your bread and butter is. How, how do you pick, you know, how, how do you pick those stocks? Yeah, so, so like I said, I mean, we, we track an index. So it's completely rules-based, but the index was designed with seven you know, fundamental metrics uh, in mind. And those fundamental metrics are things like revenue growth, like whether companies hiring and firing, you know, tenure of management, investing in R&D. There are a number of different fundamental metrics that we measure. And then we blend those all together into making one score. And that score with a one to five um, recognizes whether a company is going to be in the index or out. It's a quarterly rebalance. So if a company doesn't make it and is going to be X'd out, then they move out from that quarterly rebalance. But I think what's also interesting is a company can also come back into the index you know, if they redeem themselves and if their score improves over time. That answers my next question. I was going to ask you, how often do you rebalance? Can, how often do companies go in and out? Uh, Nick, give us some examples of some stocks that, that have been excluded. Yeah, so I mentioned GE. Um, so GE is one which has never actually been in the index. Uh, IBM is another one. Um, and then in terms of right now in the portfolio, in the top 10, you've got companies like uh, Berkshire Hathaway, companies like Walmart, companies like Disney. Um, so some pretty, pretty large companies that people will be familiar with. Wells Fargo is also in there. Um, that's probably a bit more obvious to people, but I think some other ones, might, people might be a little bit surprised. What about, and I've done this for like a long time. I mean, what, why go to 250? I mean, I look at uh, what I've been doing as I filed the top 10 components in the S&P and those make up uh, 23% of the index. So who cares? Well, actually I have to do the top 11 because of Google, you know, doing the split. So right there. So why go 250? Why, you know, why don't you go the, the top 11 and uh, who cares about the other 489? <laughs> um, well, first and foremost, the, the rather boring answer is we need a properly diversified portfolio to fit the, the 40 Act rules or the ETF rules. So we need to have a certain number of companies in the stock, in the, in the fund. Um, and I think we've tested a number of different scenarios. And again, I, I come back to this was run in a, in a private fund for a while and we felt like 250 was sort of the optimal range um, where you could still get good participation in the market you still get a correlation of one to the S&P, the beta of one, um, but you're actually excluding, you know, pretty much half of the market uh, in the model. And uh, like when you're creating these, uh, these ETFs here, obviously you want to get volume in there. Do you like, do you talk to like just different institutions and say, Hey, you know, was this a kind of product, you know, that you would trade because, you know, ultimately, you know, there's a lot of them out there. You want to get them off the ground. Uh, do you, uh, do you, you know, see what the institutions want to do when you put something like this together? Yeah. I mean, I would say that our target market or the target market really for any ETF company is going to be the financial advisor. So that's, um, registered investment advisors, that's, uh, intermediate broker dealer, financial advisors, but it's mainly intermediaries, um, and mainly financial advisors. So we certainly road test some of these, some of these ideas, but, you know, a lot of what we do and what other companies do, you know, in the ETF space is we're coming up with ideas that there's for the first time, you know, no one's ever seen before. And so with Excel, you know, sometimes what happens is, you know, the old Henry Ford kind of saying where if you ask the customers what they want, they would say a new horse. And so sometimes, you know, people, it's hard to see and appreciate something completely new um, when you're seeing it for the first time. So sometimes 
although feedback's important, sometimes you have to go with what you think um, is really sort of the, 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 the groundbreaking new thing to do. And that's what we're trying to do here with XOUT. Oh, well, I'm not sure how into labels you are, but it, it, just to be clear, is this an, an, an active fund or a passive fund? It, it's totally passive, um, but I think it's you know, more active or more, we call it dynamic, you know, than your sort of grandmother's S&P type uh, ETF. And I think you know, when you think about what a S&P 500 or a market cap weighted index is doing, they're just buying a basket of stocks um, and weighting it from the largest company to the smallest. And so there's no real intelligence, if you will, in that strategy. It's just buying all stocks. Um, what we're doing, obviously, is combining a lot of what people would associate as active sort of fundamental, you know, stock picking um, evaluation metrics, but blending those into a fully rule-based methodology. And so it's completely rules-based, um, but it's definitely more dynamic than your kind of average index fund. And then I guess a question I, I've always been curious about in general, and I'll ask you because, uh, you know, you're an ETF manager, is what goes into to deciding the expense ratio? So, I mean, a number of things. Probably the most important thing um, and most obvious thing is the competitive landscape. And so what a lot of people do from time to time is, you know, they're bringing out a strategy that's very similar to something else. And therefore, largely the price or the management fee, whatever you want to call it, is going to be kind of dictated by what the market is already paying for a similar strategy. I think, you know, with us, what we sort of felt was if you take, you know, the kind of S&P side of the market and you say, well, that's just a basket of stocks. There's no IP. There's no sort of intelligence in that strategy. And people are buying that for effectively zero these days. But what's at the other end? Well, the other end is, you know, pure active management, you know, ideally, or yeah, hedge funds maybe, and people can pay north of, you know, one and a half, two percent for that sort of strategy. So what we think X out is somewhere in the middle. So it's much more dynamic than a traditional index, but it's completely rules based and it's much less expensive than a traditional active manager in the, in the large cap space. All right. Will Ryan is the founder and CEO of Greenwich Shares. X-O-U-T is the symbol of his new ETF. Will, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Great to be on. Thank you. All right, uh, 8.46 here, guys. Uh, what's happening out there? Anything interesting? Quiet. Quiet, uh, quiet, quiet Friday? Yeah, quiet wall here. It is option expiration, though. Yep, it is. It is. So we do see a lot of sell imbalances here this morning. That is not moving the stocks yet, but they just got bigger just now. Just They just now got bigger. See, that's S&Ps. All you traders that believe the S&Ps lead all the time, you just got proven wrong right there because all those sell imbalances just came on the stocks. And they just sold the S&Ps off, you know, a point and a half on that right now. So we're seeing sell balances across the board. They are dictating it to a certain extent. That is why you are seeing some weakness here just in the last couple of minutes as these sell balances are growing. Um, again, this is option expiration. Those things can change really fast. But right now, I'm seeing like on pro I'm seeing. I'll just give you a few examples. Bank of America, 458,000 to sell. Merck, 136,000 to sell. Pfizer, 241,000 to sell. AT&T, 268,000 to sell. Our, our friend uh, General Electric is only 447,000 to sell. It's always got a sell and balance. Berkshire Hathaway, 115,000 to sell. I mean, it's across the board, sell and balances right now. That's why the market is leaking. And for all you people that are on the opposite side of the coin, when the S&Ps are up 30 handles in the middle of the night, when no stocks are open, those stocks are forced to open at prices because of the S&P futures. One quick stock before we go to our next guest, we'll do uh, Intuitive Surgical, ISRG. They had earnings after the close yesterday. They beat on their EPS by a lot. 
$3.43 EPS versus a $2.99 estimate. Mm-hmm. Sales uh, also beat $1.12 versus $1.06 billion. It's a nice left. I own the bots in my long-term investment portfolio, BOT, a zebra there. It is loaded up with ISRG. If you look, actually, the charts are very similar because it's the biggest holding. So if you're trading BOTZ today, that is one. That could be a catalyst worth moving. ISRG, up 18 bucks. Joel, give us technicals. Uh, well, your pre-market high, they got a little bit excited. They took it to 554.40. Uh, but I'm going to stay within the, reg- the realm of the regular sessions, and the all-time high is 549. So use that potential target. You could easily get lifted at 549. It could go 552 bid. And then you get up and get a drink of water, and it could be at 537. So it's one of those stocks. If you want to sell it on a day, you want to sell it when it's going up. This is a day approaching all-time high. Also, it got up to this area. Oh, I'm wrong. That's not the all-time high. All-time high is 581.12. I stand corrected. So I'll use that recent high at 549 as a target if you're holding up for the all-time high. Uh, that's quite a quite a ways away at 581.12. All right, it is 849. I want to take a quick break and grab our final guest of the day and the week, William D. Cohan. He is a uh, an author. He's also a special correspondent for Vanity Fair. He wrote that great article yesterday that we talked about, about insider trading. So I'll give William a call. We'll be right back in a moment with William D. Cohan. All right, welcome back, everyone. Pre-market prep, Spencer Israel, Joel L. Conan, Dennis Dick. As I mentioned, we are joined now by William D. Cohan, uh, special correspondent for Vanity Fair, longtime uh, Wall Street author. William, uh, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, first of all, I just want to tell our audience here that uh, Mr. Cohan has written uh, f- at least four books on Wall Street. I love to read books about the markets. Uh, what's your, do you have a favorite one or the one that's most related to trading? I saw you wrote, wrote one about Goldman Sachs. So I need, I, when I go on vacations, I read books. Which one of your books do you suggest uh, I reading first? You know, that's like asking me which one of my children do I love more? Uh, you know, look, the, trading, you know, the book trading. I wrote about Lazard, uh, you know, was about a banking firm book about Bear was about how it collapsed in the financial crisis and the book about Goldman was about its history and how it survived the financial crisis uh, so there's elements of trading certainly in the la- in the books about Bear and Goldman Sachs Lazard didn't do a whole lot of trading okay so let's move on um, your article here about some suspicious trading activity um, in the uh, E-mini S&P futures. So just kind of walk us through here, like through like the timeline of you becoming aware of this, where the information came from, and then how you started your process. So obviously, like uh, any uh, good reporter, I'm, you know, uh, I have uh, sources uh, throughout Wall Street and the industry. Uh, and of course, I'm not going to reveal my sources. But it was inter- one of the interesting things to me is uh, I wrote a story uh, about this uh, also in Vanity Fair in early July, uh, same idea, uh, same kind of trading pattern uh, that basically got zero uh, attention. Maybe everybody was at the beach. Uh, I wrote this, uh, you know, obviously uh, yesterday as a follow-up, but, you know, i.e., this is still going on. 
and and traders are still seeing uh, these kinds of uh, unusual trades, uh, trading patterns, uh, and wondering how this is happening. And it seems that uh, if people are taking profits, they're making a lot of money. Uh, and you know, yes, yesterday it, it exploded. So I don't know what changed between July and October. Maybe. Uh, uh, you know, the impeachment proceedings, uh, you know, the media is more highly tuned to uh, anything that might uh, look uh, sort of negative for Trump. But, you know, the idea here was, uh, you know, I, I was just being uh, repertorial about uh, what, uh, like any good reporter, what I was hearing uh, in the marketplace. Uh, and this was the sort of second uh, story that I wrote about it. So. The central point of your article is that there are there are several uh, suspiciously well-timed trades in, in the S&P yeah. E-minis. Can you outline uh, sort of like what and when those trades have occurred? Well, so uh, again, I mean, I I think um, one of the points of the article is that uh, there was a feeling, not me, I'm not a trader, right? Uh, I'm just a reporter. There was a feeling among uh, traders uh, or people who trade uh, e-minis uh, who've been noticing these, you know, very well-timed uh, uh, trades, uh, and uh, you know, often that they were related to market-moving events. So, I mean, you don't have to be an idiot to uh, or a genius to to see that you know that there's been a lot of roller coaster activity, a lot of up and downs, a lot of vicissitudes in the market related to the China trade uh, negotiations. Uh, and frankly, I think uh, most people, I would say 99.99% of people have no idea what Trump is trying to accomplish with the trade talks with China. Uh, all we know is that sometimes they're on and going well, and sometimes they're off and going poorly, and sometimes he's putting tariffs on uh, because they're not going well, and he's holding off on tariffs because they are going well. And again, I think if you look at his statements, and again, uh, I, I, I haven't done this, but people who trade in these e-minis have, have, have done this, uh, you know, there's a correlation between his commentary and the way the market responds. So people are starting to trade that volatility. And so um, what and sometimes they, they, they're successful at it, and sometimes they're not. And I think the point of this article was that not only, uh, you know, uh, there have been instances uh, when Trump, uh, who obviously is quite uh, savvy and talks about the market all the time, is very focused on the market and is also very focused on what the market is as a barometer of his success as president of the United States, uh, that people are, uh, uh, that he moves the markets and people are sort of uh, either getting lucky and taking advantage of that, or uh, as the suggestion that was made to me is that there are people close to Trump who are actually doing the trading or organizing the trading or making it uh, possible for this information about what Trump's going to say about the Chinese uh, the tariff negotiations or any, you know, anything else that he you know, wants to say that moves the market. Uh, and people are seeming to make a lot of money, assuming that they uh, sell their positions out after they've made these huge profits. Uh, just going back to uh, your comment that in, you know, just kind of the process that led up to this, you said from the pits. So are you talking, because, I mean, there's only one physical pit left, and that's the S&P 500. No, I mean, the pits, I mean, that, look, uh, I mean, uh, well, that's something I'm, I said to perhaps 
uh, you know, on CNBC. I mean, it's a, it's a metaphor. I mean, okay. I, I'm, I, I'm a former banker. What I mean, you know, I'm sure this is all traded electronically, so there's no one physically in a pit. But this is from people is, who trade. There are things. people physically in the pit. It doesn't trade a lot. Well, I mean, there's like physically people still on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, too. But I, I'm not exactly sure what they do other than serve as a set for a background set for CNBC broadcasts. Okay, because I, when I was looking at it, when you said, I thought it was like, because there there's still a lot of people on the floor. It doesn't trade a lot of volume, but there's still S&P 500 no. pit. I didn't know if you were, to, you know, if there were people, traders, clerks, whatever, observing, you know, sitting there trading the big contract, observing the price action in the E-minis. I was just, you know, because there was rumors. There do things that come out of the trading pits, and, you know, that that's, uh, I, I just had that question. Uh, that uh, I had a question for you. Well, I, I actually I want to jump in here. Uh, you mentioned in the article, William, you reached out to the, the SEC. They declined to comment. CFTC, they ignored you. When you yeah. when you reached out to them, what, like, how did they appreciate you, your your questions here and, and your line of questioning about this? Well, I, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the word how how they appreciate well, it. Like, what, like, that never, but like, but I will tell you that the that the this, this, the the spokes people at the commodities, uh, the, the, the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, were, actually took what I was saying quite seriously, and they uh, went away for two or three days, and then came back and said, well, we've, as I said in the piece, you know, we've talked to various people, we don't really see anything to this, uh, you know, it, uh, I never said it happened in one trade, obviously, it probably couldn't happen in one trade, or, you know, one trader uh making these trades but they said no we you know we don't see a single point of of trading and, and, and you know it doesn't really uh, bother us um uh, the SEC I just got a quick no comment but interestingly then uh I got back you know maybe two or three weeks later uh an email from another person in the uh SEC uh, uh press office saying you know okay I know my colleague said no comment but what exactly are you talking about here which I thought was curious uh, and then you know once the article was published yesterday I sent that to them and um, I have not heard back uh, and uh, basically the CFTC uh, just you know just ignored me didn't you know I was told there would be no response well I'm Dennis Dick from Bright Trading we've speculated on this show that it is possible that there could be some information leakage you know not only from the Trump administration but from potentially China as well on the other side of these negotiations. So I yeah. don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that your argument could hold water. And I find it very interesting that there was some big trades ahead of this. So, you know, I found your article to be very interesting for that reason. Um, how do we know that, you know, and, and how do we know that this couldn't be coming from the China side, these trades? Well, I, I, think, I think there's a very good argument to be made that, you know, China might be somehow along for the ride. I mean, uh, Look, I mean, we're, we're in the realm totally of speculation, right? Yes, but I yes, mean, for sure. it wouldn't uh, surprise me if Trump said, hey, look, uh, you know, um, my commentary about my tweets, my commentary uh, about the tariff negotiations, you know, moves the markets, you know, you, you guys might want to get in on this too. I've, I look at, I've made, you know, I don't know that he would say this directly. I, you know, the guy is capable of almost anything, right? But, uh, uh, and it's not always, necessarily nefarious but uh i think that yeah i wouldn't be surprised if china and or uh, other people uh who are party to these negotiations or these discussions 
uh, are somehow uh, making money on this too, spending in their trades. Isn't there a way just to go in through the clearinghouses, through the you know through the exchanges, and find out exactly who bought those contracts and the timing and the people on the accounts? I mean, with the kind of uh, surveillance and clearance we have now, I mean, wouldn't that be something fairly easy to do to go in and see where the accounts, you know, where, where they're, you know, domiciled and who's doing it. I mean, to me, that would be, you know, a simple way to find, you know, find out who is doing this and investigate that if it's offshore accounts or whatever. Um, is that something that you think that the CFC, CFTC or SEC should do? You're, you're preaching to the converted on that. I mean, <laughs> Uh, lead, lead leave a trail right i mean they leave an electronic trail they leave all sorts of uh, records uh, yes so uh, i don't think it's hard for the regulators the sec the cftc uh, even the the cme to find out who's made these trades and if there's anything to it i mean i was just reporting observations that people who trade these e-minis have been making to me over the last uh, four or five months, uh, uh, and people who've been doing this a very long time and just noticing these, uh, uh, you know, strange uh, trades that seem to be extremely well-timed and that at least on paper uh, people have made a tremendous amount of money. Uh, but it would not take very much. I mean, look, if, the, if there were uh, a, a merger that was going, uh, had been announced and there was unusual trading activity, uh, volume activity leading before the merger, then the SEC seems to routinely investigate that and and prosecute people uh, for doing that. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, you know, insider trading uh, rules and laws, uh, you know, don't apply the same way to these kind of future markets and the bond markets as they do to the equity markets. But but the use of of, of inside information or potentially use of inside information to make huge profits is the same concept. So. Uh, you know, they should be looking at this exactly as they would if it, if it were a merger that was announced and there was a, a, a unusual trading activity in front of the merger. Th this should not be hard for the regulators if they are doing their job and if they are not totally in the pocket of Donald Trump. All right, William D. Cohen is a special correspondent for Vanity Fair. He's also a longtime Wall Street author. William, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. All right, 9.03, that'll be it for our show uh, for today and for the week. I want to remind you about the Weeble WeTrader competition. Go to Weeble.com or download the Weeble app to learn more how you can win $11,000 worth of Amazon gift cards every week. Or if you are the very best paper trader, you can win a Tesla Model 3 or $40,000 toward your student loan payments. Also, the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week in Chicago. BenzingaCannabisConference.com slash Chicago. Promo code BZFAN, that's B-Z-F-A-N, to get a discounted ticket. Thanks to both our guests today, William D. Cohan and Will Rind. Uh, Dennis, just before, any just, before you, go, just yeah. before you go, Spencer, the sell imbalances have grown significantly here. I, I see that. I don't know if they're going to change, but they are significant. That is why we're down now four or five handles from where we were 20 minutes ago because these things have gotten huge bank of america's 1.7 million to sell now g is 1.8 million to sell pfizer's 1.1 million to sell we were talking the hundred thousands now you can see we're talking the millions 1.4 million to sell in at&t um and then there's just a pile g is like 1.8 million 
I mean, I'm just looking across the board. Philip Morris, 361,000 to sell. Uh, it's hundreds of thousands everywhere. So right now, significant, significant sell balances. It's going to take some big institutions to offset these or we're going to open lower. Yeah, no, good call on that. As soon as you did uh, mention that immediately, it, uh, we did get a sell-off. We are now in the red, uh, adding significance to that pre-market high at 3001.25. I mean, on the downside, we've had a quiet range, really, the last two sessions. So it's going to be kind of hard. It's going to be choppy. I don't think we get any major downside today until we take out 2985. And I don't think we get any major upside here uh, until you take out yesterday's high at uh, 3,008. So it's not warm enough to maybe go golfing, but it could be just a, uh, a quiet day here in the markets. We'll see what shakes out. All right, everyone, have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend as well. We'll be back with you on Monday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.